podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. As all of you are aware, every year on December 7th, our nation commemorates the surprise attack that happened on, in 1941 on Pearl Harbor. And you know the words that President Roosevelt spoke as a result, saying that it would be a day in infamy. And so as a result of all that, nations gathered their armies together and sent them to war. It was tragic, there was great loss, and the world would never ever be the same. Long before, even though as bad as that world war was, there was an even greater day of infamy long before this one that I'm referring to. Satan in all of his crafty deception convinced Adam and Eve to disobey, to sin, breaking their fellowship with God. And because of their choice, because of their decision, death entered the world, sin entered the world, and the world would never be the same. Mankind has been suffering and reeling as, as a result of that dis- decision ever since. A spiritual war had been declared, and Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 6, is sounding out a call to arms. So we referred to it last week. You might consider this part two of what we started last week, a call to arms. And so the Christian soldier has a responsibility. We are in God's army, right? We mentioned this last week. We, the moment we give our lives to Christ, we enlist in his army. And so as soldiers, we, we have a responsibility. We left off with verse 13. I want to start there again this evening. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So last week we looked at the reasons why we need the full armor of God and the effects that we can't expect with its divine protection on us. We learned that to stand against was a great term, a military term that Paul was using, meaning to resist the enemy, to hold your position. And one I really, really liked was never, ever surrendering to the enemy. No surrender, none at all. We were reminded that the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms are real. And they are indeed powerful beings, not mere fantasies. So believers must never, ever underestimate them. Nevertheless, I am so thankful, and I know you are. Our God is bigger, better, (laughs) smarter, and greater. Amen? Yeah. So the images we mentioned last week that Paul is under house arrest in Rome, no doubt chained to uh, a Roman soldier. He's being guarded by a Roman soldier who has got his full armor on. And so Paul's been seeing that, and he's making some, um, you know, some connections. But 
I want to add to that this evening that it could very well be likely that not only is Paul seeing the armor on the soldier, but he could very likely be combining it with some scripture right out of the book of Isaiah. Okay, so it could be that he's taking and putting the two combining them. Um, listen to Isaiah 11.5. It says, it mentions the Messiah coming with a belt of righteousness and faithfulness. Isaiah 59.17 refers to the Lord wearing righteousness and faithfulness. And Isaiah 59.17 refers to the Lord wearing righteousness like a breastplate and putting a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 52, 7 describes the beauty of the feet of those who pronounce good news of happiness and salvation and the kingdom of God. So again, we see the very strong likelihood that Paul is combining what he is seeing on this Roman soldier with what he knows from the scriptures from Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. The clear implication here is that if the fall of Christ has all of their armor on, they have the ability to stand firm against the enemy. Amen, right? Therefore, do not need to worry or fear. The attempts to deceive and destroy will not work. They will be null and void, if you will, in your life when you are suited up with the full armor of God and utilizing it and putting it to work. And so this is really such great news. Regardless of where you live, where you work, regardless of who occupies the White House, you can stand. Hallelujah. You can be strong because you've been given all that you need to do so. Now, as we move into talking about the items pertaining to the armor itself, it's important that we understand each item on the list parallels, hear me now, every item parallels a behavior, something that we are to do in order to experience the fullness of God's strength. Are you with me? So then the emphasis here is not so much on the item of the armor and all that it symbolizes. The emphasis is on the behavior, the action that Paul is challenging us to emulate with the armor on. He's not just going to put the armor on just so you can look good, right? Not just so you look cool and like you're ready to do battle. No, you are going to do battle. There is something to do when you've got it on. And we need to understand that. And it's, you see, it, it, it's in the knowing, I think, that we're empowered for the doing. That makes sense? We need to understand this. We need to know that there is an action, there is a behavior that comes with being dressed with the full armor of God. And it is in the knowing that empowers us in the doing. Where we are to do with the full armor of God while we have it on. So let's, let's take a look at this equipment. The rest of verse 13, it says, so you, that you may stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. We're going to stop there before we get to verse 14. I want to just highlight this a little bit. This, is, this isn't Paul 
Just some, I want to make sure that you get this clear. This is not Paul saying, after you have done everything in your own power and strength. That is not what he is saying. Okay? <laughs> Be clear on that. He is not saying, after you've done everything that you possibly can do with your own wisdom, your own strength, then maybe try the armor. It kind of maybe comes across like that in some of the translations. That is not what he's saying. What Paul is doing is, when he makes that statement, he's saying, even when you've done that, when it's all said and done, you're still going to remain standing. And then he goes into explaining why you will be remain standing, having put on the full armor of God. Okay, so it's good that we understand that. I think the message really helps us, though, with verse 13, to help us really fully understand what Paul is saying here. It says, take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, don't you love that? <laughs> so when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Hallelujah. Here's why, and Paul then begins to explain it. Looks, verse 14, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So Paul says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around you. Typically, I think we automatically assume that this is referring to the truth as in the truth of God. But I want you to know that Paul does not use the definite article that would be the. He doesn't use that word, which then would indicate that he's not necessarily referring to the truth as in the truth of God. He doesn't say the truth. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, not using the definite article. This can be rightly interpreted then as truthfulness. You're going to put on the belt of truthfulness, or another term for it would be sincerity of heart. Paul is talking about our behavior, as I said a moment ago. He's talking about truthful living, folks. That belt is all about truthful living, truthful thinking, truthful speaking. He's talking about not lying, not being deceptive. He's talking about character and integrity. He's talking about honesty, talking about living like Christ would live and have us live as we reflect him and display him in this world. A soldier's belt in Roman during first century was probably about six inches wide. Leather went around him, did basically a couple things. It protected his midsection along with holding his weapons, but it also gave him freedom of movement. So in other words, his, his, his clothing wouldn't be flying around in the wind, getting in his way. It would be close to his body. For those of you who ride motorcycles, liken it to that vest that you might wear. That's its purpose. It keeps everything to your body, not flapping in the wind. And that's what this belt is doing for me. He's calling us to live truthful lives. Protecting his mission, truthful living does, does the exact thing for us, church. I want you to see this. When Paul says to have the belt of truth buckled around your waist, he's calling us again to truthful living, living truthful lives according to obviously and of course God's truth. 
A commitment to living truthfully both protects us and brings to us freedom. How many of you like freedom? Well, a few of you do. <laughs> Let's continue on here in the rest of verse 14 where he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. It says, you know, put on the belt around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate's role was obvious. It was like, we can think of it today as kind of like a bulletproof vest. It protected the most vital organs here in our upper body, in our body. And what is the breastplate made of? Did you notice? What's it made of? Titanium? Precious metal? Righteousness. Paul is referring again to our behavior, church. That's why he emphasizes that we are to put on the full armor. He is talking to those who are already believers. He's talking about personal holiness, living Christ-like, representing God the way he warrants to be represented. <laughs> He's talking about doing good works. Now, having said that, I know that some folks get kind of restless when they hear that term, good works. So therefore, I want to clearly state that Paul is not talking about earning salvation here. Not even close. Okay? He's talking about being holy. <laughs> Living in a continuous, and I've been mentioning this for the last few weeks, it's sort of been a kind of a new fresh thought that I believe God laid on my heart. Living in a continuous holy moment. I love that. Living in a continuous, ongoing, sun up, sun down, from the moment you raise your head to you lay your head at night, a continuous, ongoing, holy moment in the presence of a holy God with the help of a Holy Spirit. That's what he's calling on us here. To be a part of righteousness means doing what's right. No brainer, right? doing the next right thing, doing the next wise thing. A lot of people have sad hearts, hard hearts, broken hearts, because they have failed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our own hearts can condemn us. Have you maybe found that to be true? Yeah. In fact, 1 John 3.20 tells us that. And we also know that Satan can condemn us. Revelation 12.10 tells us that. We can, however, recognize the difference between condemnation and conviction. I hope you can <laughs> tell the difference between the two. Condemnation causes us to run away from God. Isn't that what it does? Man, I can't be around a holy God. I'm out of here. Conviction, however, draws us towards a holy God. Condemnation says, what's the use? And causes us to stop praying, to stop going to church, start being a part of a Baba study, to stop reading the word, and so on and so forth. You fill in the blank. Conviction, on the other hand, says, you can be forgiven. 
and draws us back to the Word, back into fellowship, back to the Lord with His arms wide open. Good works, right living, paves the way for God's strength in your life. Amen? Paves the way. Verse 15, we have the readiness of the gospel, and it says, and, and, and with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What Paul is saying here is the opposite of relaxing and doing nothing. He's saying, get your boots on. Get moving. There is no place for complacency, for apathy, for non-movement. Remember, he's talking about, he's addressing this putting on the armor, which is talking about our behavior, which means action. You get, you know, what's he, again, he's talking about that behavior. He's saying, be ready to go at the drop of a hat. Be ready to move. Be ready to work. Be ready to serve. Be ready to take action. Get those boots on so that you might serve me when I need you to serve me and you'll be there when someone needs you to be there. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Roman soldiers used two kinds of shields, a small one in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and then they had a large one, four and a half feet by two feet wide, for use when, the enemy, when they were advancing against the enemy. Each soldier would stand side by side, holding up his shield, and the enemy would be faced with a solid wall of shields. You probably have seen various movies, kind of like the 300, where you've seen that actually depicted. When they would do that, they literally became impenetrable to the enemy's arrows. That's what faith does, church. It makes you impenetrable. Do you want to be impenetrable? That's what it does for us, especially when, when you're marching side by side with your fellow soldiers in your community of faith, a part of your church, your Bible study, whatever, in that sense, becomes so, so important. Can't emphasize that enough. Paul is talking about our behavior again. He's not referring to a mere creed that you acknowledge with your intellect. He's talking about faithfulness. He's talking about a faith that is in action. He makes a reference to fiery darts. These Roman shields typically were covered with leather, and before battle they would have been soaked in water so that when an arrow would hit it, it would absorb it and put it out, extinguish the fire. Your faith gives you that same kind of protection, folks. When you continue to advance side by side with your spiritual comrades in arms, if you will, your faith protects from anything that the enemy can throw your way. 
Now let's look at verse 17 when it talks about the helmet of salvation. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Stopping there before we get to the next one. Paul is talking about the way we think here. How many know it's important what you think? How many have found out if you don't cut that off at the pass, nip it at the bud, you're in trouble? Right? That's why you've got to be so on top of that. He's talking about the way we think. Just like a helmet protects your, your head, salvation does the same thing. When you meditate on God's salvation, when you think about, consider and pray and just run through all the things that you are thankful for with regards to your salvation that has been won for you at Calvary. He's saying, use your salvation to protect your head. Do you know why we can't give in to despair? I'll tell you why. No matter how bad things get, because God's salvation protects our head. Where the thought processes take place, our minds, our thoughts, attitudes, and our behaviors that follow. When we think about what He has done for us, and all that he promises us, then we're thankful, right? And we respond accordingly, and living in a way that brings him honor and praise and glory. So Paul defines the helmet of salvation. I want you to really catch this. This is, this is so cool. He defines this very same helmet of salvation as the hope of the coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians, a phrase meaning to the light. Jesus is the light of the world, right? To the light. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. <laughs> I love that. We will become greatly distressed as we see the world and its culture collapsing all around us, unless we put on that helmet. And when we put that helmet on, it's kind of like your thought patterns begin to change. You're not, yeah, that's what's going on out there, but you can see beyond that. You're seeing Jesus. You're seeing His plan. And all of a sudden, hope begins to well up within you. And you're not down and out and suffering in despair. You're excited about Jesus. You're excited about his plan. You're thankful that you're a part of it. He's called you to be a part of that. And then all of a sudden, as we put that helmet on, I love this. All that, even though that might be going on, the blessing and hope of the coming of Jesus our great God and Savior. Yeah, amen. How many are glad he's on his way back? Sooner the better, right? That is what is to be constantly on our minds as we put that helmet on, the helmet of salvation. And when that's on, and when you're thinking about Jesus returning, I've said this before, I wanna kinda insert it here again. When you are mindful that he could come back in the next minute or two, what do you think that is going to, what kind of impact is that going to have on your behavior? 
It's kind of like I want to say, I rest my case. <laughs> You're not going to be nowhere near as likely to be getting caught up in some sinful activity when you believe with all your heart because your hope is placed on his soon return. He could come back in the next few minutes. I better be doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I don't want to be caught doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. When he shows up, you see the connection? Suit up with the full armor of God. And then he says in the rest of verse 17, you know, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In this case, Paul isn't referring to the Bible. The New Testament has not been written yet, has not been compiled. Now we know this because when he uses this term here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he doesn't use the word logos. In the original language, it's not logos, which would refer to the written word. He uses the word rhema here. And that's how we know that he's not referring to the New Testament or the Bible in its entirety, but to the rhema, a specific word, a spoken word, a saying, if you will. It refers not to a general word, but a specific word. And I love this church. This is so good. For example, the Bible as a whole would and could be rightfully referred to as the logos, the written word. But for example, John 3.16, spoken independently to someone who was lost and needing a savior, that becomes Rhema. It becomes a specific word spoken to their specific need. Salvation in this case. You see what I'm saying? The sword of the Spirit is that specific word. That rhema that God gives us, that gives you by supernatural revelation. I'm so thankful for that. It's that aha moment <laughs> that comes to you from a verse or two straight out of the Bible. Most often for most followers of Christ, it is a specific verse of Scripture that applies to a specific situation. Such as, let's just say, for example, you're, you're having trouble with your mouth. Okay? Just doing too much of this. and It's getting in trouble. You know what a, a specific word for you might be? Romans 10, 19. When words are many, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking as I'm looking around the room and you're smiling at me, most of you know this verse by heart, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> when words are many, sin is not absent, but he or she who holds their tongue is wise. That's the NIV. The New King James Version says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And then I've got to give you from the New Living Translation. I, this is really good. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible <laughs> and keep your mouth shut. 
a specific word spoken to a specific situation. You want to know why I love this so much? I'm taking a little detour here for a moment. I will be honest with you, and there has been times over the last 46 years of doing this where it can get really frustrating and be, be so disappointing. You know, when you pour your heart into what you do and then look out and see very, very little, little change, it, it's heartbreaking. And I'm not trying to be overdramatic, heartbreaking. And then the Holy Spirit will speak to me, a specific word. <laughs> Dave, get your eyes off of people. Get them back where they belong. And then I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged to the point, church, that I continue to do what I do week after week, believing that at some point, hear me now, God is going to speak to you a specific word that will change your life where you will never, ever again be the same. I live on that hope, on the promises of my promise-making, promise-keeping God's why I do what I do. So do your part, will you? <laughs> Stay awake when you're here. And come with an attitude to hear, to listen, to be teachable, to receive. For you do not know on any given time in a moment like this where God might be wanting to speak a specific word to you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Your weapon for spiritual warfare is this very same kind of word, church. The word of God spoken to you for a particular situation. So you know what that means? You need to spend time in the word. Amen? You need to spend time in the Word so that God can have something to draw from to speak a specific word into your life. Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. We've discussed why, because this equipment enables us to stand against the devil's schemes. But there is one more thing, and it's really, really, really important. It's in verse 18. And pray. Pray, pray, pray in the Spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Paul's strategy for prayer is really quite simple. Pray for everything and everyone. Don't get no easier than that, right? Well, simpler. Pray for everything and everyone for all occasions 
And for all the saints, he says, pray. Always. Why? Because Paul is continuing here. I want you to see this. While prayer isn't necessarily being listed as one of the items with the armor of God, it's still connected because he's following the same thought, connecting the thought out of verse 17, where he talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, carries that on into verse 18, where he talks about praying in the Spirit, okay? So he continues the thought there. In other words, as we take the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, we must also pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Praying in the Spirit then means that the Spirit comes alongside and helps us, leads us, guides us, empowers us when we pray. So if what is taking place in verse 17 is kind of continuing in verse 18, Here's some good news for you folks. That means that this prayer then is also attached to the other items that we just got through talking about. Prayer is what will supercharge, energize the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, feet fitted for the gospel of peace, energizes that, empowers them when we use them. So as we pray continually, we are, at that point, being supernaturally energized when using all of the pieces of equipment. It is prayer, church, that supercharges all the weapons, causing them to be super-duper effective. Yes, the enemy will attack you at various times, but we need to be reminded, but he will always be attacking somebody, right? Always. Believers need to be praying always. The forces of evil will attack when we least expect it. So we need to be alert to prayer. Hmm. Think about an energized, super effective shield of faith when praying. Um, I'm going to put up a, a, a picture here that I really like. Isn't that cool? That's a dad. And I love the fact that he's on his knee and he's got that shield up and he's protecting his little girl. Now, what I really love about that picture is it is not only does that work for a mother with her child, a father with their child, but it also works for our brothers and sisters in the church of God. A little bit ago, I was talking about us marching side by side with one another with our shields in place, becoming impenetrable to the enemy at that point. And here's a great picture of that. And this is what we have, church. This is what we need to be understanding with the shield of faith. This is why we need one another. We cannot be lone rangers in this community of faith, in this army of God that we are a part of. We need one another. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be on our knees fighting in prayer for one another. And he says to do that on all occasions and always be doing it. <laughs> always in prayer in some way, shape, or form. 
It would be beneficial, I think, to consider prayer from a modern-day military perspective. That's certainly what Paul is doing in his time, right, with the Roman soldier. Let's you and I think about it in terms of modern-day military perspective. For example, there's the long-range artillery of prayer. I love that. Think about it. We can visit missionaries all over the world. We can pray blessings and protection upon them in the spirit. For those living in persecuted parts of the world, those who have laid their lives out there for Christ, who will not deny him, who will not recant their faith when they're being asked to do so, often at the point of a gun, at the loss of life, they're standing for Jesus. We can pray for them from right here. We can also join with fellow believers, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers as they go through difficult times standing by them by using the long-range artillery power of prayer. Oh, may we utilize that. Another military perspective, think of this one, would be air support. Any military strategist will tell you that while you cannot win a war without ground troops, air superiority gives you an overwhelming advantage. Paul describes our air support as prayer because God's army advances. How? On its knees, folks. Amen? God's army advances on its knees. C.S. Lewis wrote, enemy occupied ter territory, that is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful ruler has landed and launched his invasion and is calling us all to take a part in a great campaign of conquering and taking back ground. Doesn't it make sense to make use of our air coverage? the power of prayer. You can make prayer your life in your life of prayer while living in a world that needs God's powerful influence. This does not happen by human effort alone. Such prayers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Only in Him can we be effective. Only in Him can we pray effectively powerfully and timely prayers that can indeed change the world. Do you believe that? As a matter of fact, even the Apostle Paul acknowledged his desperate need for prayer. Look at verse 19. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Remember, Paul wrote this letter, house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Yet he is virtually unhindered, I love this, from speaking and writing. These letters that are still with us today, most of them written from a Roman prison cell still doing their job. God's still working through them. He is unhindered 
And I think in part because the church that he has written to has prayed for him. And of course, he himself is praying as well. There is power in prayer, folks. It is our most strongest, most important thing that we can do. Would you agree with that? But I think you also would have to continue doing this and we would admit it is that which we do the less. It's unfortunate, isn't it? And while you may or may not agree with this, it could very well be why the church today, at least in America, is so anemic and powerless because we do not pray. For those of you who are usually always inclined to stay after Sarah night service and pray, this is what we're doing. With that picture we saw, we are doing our shields in the air and we're taking darts, but we're advancing on our knees for the kingdom of God. I don't know why it is, but you announce a potluck, everybody's there. You announce a prayer meeting, maybe a handful. Why is that, folks? Why is it? I'm not trying to put a whatever that would be on you. But I want you to think about that. Verse 21, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am, how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. What this is letting us know, what Paul is letting us know, that we are not in this alone. Are you thankful for that? We are not in this alone. We're not fighting the battle alone. There are other believers who stand with us in the fight. So let's be sure to encourage one another. Tychicus was an encouragement to Paul. Acts 20 verse 4 lets us know that. And Paul was sending him back to the city of Ephesus where he had spent three years ministering to the church there. He's sending Tychicus back there so he can encourage them on his behalf. Paul wanted the people of God to know that what God was doing, he, he was on the move. <laughs> he was working. And how their prayers were indeed being answered. When in a, what an encouragement that must have been, right, to the church at Ephesus. What an encouragement it is to be a part of the family of God, folks. Please don't ever, ever take that for granted. The church is an army and its soldiers, as its soldiers, we need to stand together and keep on with the good fight of faith together. Note the word Paul uses in his closing letter, peace, love, faith, grace. Did you see those? He's a prisoner in Rome. <laughs> I love this. Yet, really he is richer 
than the emperor himself. No matter what our circumstances, church, may we be whatever we would find ourselves in. In Jesus Christ, we are above all blessed beyond all measure. Amen? Blessed beyond all measure with all spiritual blessings. And so, life is a war zone. Agreed? And every day we're on the battlefield. Yeah? The only way you can win this battle is through the strength of God. But to receive God's strength, you must act. You must act, you must act, you must act. You must put on the full armor of God. Live truthfully. Do good works. Be ready to go where God leads you. Be ready to live by faith. Fill your mind and your heart with God's word. And be open to that specific word that he might want to speak into your heart, into your life, in a particular specific situation. So that he can speak those words into you. Be in God's word. Do this, Paul says, and you will stand your ground. You will remain firm and all for the glory of our king. And when the war is over, you will find yourself standing, but not on a battlefield, but in your eternal home, in his presence throughout eternity, beyond any shadow of a doubt, you will know that it had been worth it all. Father, we come before you this evening, and as we have um, wrapped up this letter that Paul wrote initially to the church at Ephesus, and then also to us, I pray that there have been truths that have been spoken that have landed in good ground in our hearts. I pray that over the few months that we've been going through this letter, you have spoken specific words to individuals for specific situations. And I pray, God, that as we are mindful of that, that we will from this day forward never ever take this kind of setting for granted, but we will come, all ears, closed mouths, all ears, open hearts, in faith to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Changing our lives, our lives never ever to be the same as we live for you and for your glory. And that taking us and carrying us all the way into eternity. We choose you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And we are so thankful for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. 
If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.